0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We are in our Bibles, folks, at Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. This is a place where we find ourselves at an incredibly familiar passage, very familiar passage, yet one that is rarely understood, rarely understood. Um, The reason that this text is so familiar to us is that at, at every catastrophic world event, every occurrence, there, there's, there are always opportunists who sound the alarm and blare the horn, uh, this is a sure sign that this is the end, that the end is near and religious type folks, they, uh, they immediately go to their uh, computers to type out uh, new books containing dogmatic, new dogmatic predictions. That everyone who considers themselves uh, spiritual or biblical uh, a Christian, they have to rush out and buy. At the same time, most will not rush to their Bibles to see what it actually says, to understand the passage itself. Uh, it, it is truly uh, fascinating to me, I've mentioned this previously, how Christians will read all kinds of books about the Bible, but rarely actually read the bible every generation experiences uh, a new uh, new crop of self-proclaimed prophets who read current world events that they that they read current world events into every old ancient passages old testament and new uh, both in hopes to precisely calculate the point of Christ's return precisely calculate the point of Christ's return, the end of time. Apparently, this is so that we can panic, panic that the end has come, Uh, simply empty out the store shelves of toilet paper one more time. (laughs) The end is near. We're going to need toilet paper. But folks, panic and irrational behavior, panic and irrational behavior, it is the polar opposite response expected like... uh, Pro, expected from prophetic passages like we see today, like the one we see in Luke chapter 21. Uh, eschatology, or, or the study of end times, or study of final things, uh, eschatology, some claim, is for the purpose of identifying current world events to precisely calculate when Christ will return. Uh, this is even though This is even though Christ, during this same occasion, this same occasion and discourse in Matthew 24, verse 36, assures us that no man, nor angel, nor even the Son of Man, speaking of Christ Himself, can know the day or the hour of His return. In Luke 21 Beginning in verse 7, Christ and his disciples have left the temple on Wednesday of Passion Week. He has just informed them that the temple will be destroyed. They are on the Mount of Olives at this point. Looking back across the Kidron Valley, about a half mile away, they probably see the sun setting now over Jerusalem in the west. The temple itself only about a half mile from them. Uh, This passage is known as uh, Jesus' final discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And Matthew 24, verse 1 tells us, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What will be the sign? But before we read Jesus' response together, I'd like you to note just a few things about this, this discourse. We have three records of it, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. None of the Gospels contain the entire sermon. None of them contain it all. Uh, All three combined, all three taken together, uh, do not contain his full lesson. We only have in in each of the Gospels small snippets of the Olivet Discourse. uh, Small snippets that complement one another. Uh, This discourse probably went on for a lengthy, lengthy period of time. And the same is true of all of his discourses, including the Sermon on the Mount. We don't have it all, um, folks. Jesus didn't give short sermons like I do. He, he, he didn't. How do I know? Well, well, Jesus concludes. Uh, excuse me, John concludes his gospel. These are the final words of John's gospel. Saying there are also many other things which Jesus did where if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would need to be written. Well, we don't have it all. Jesus could not tweet his sermons today. Small dissimilarities reveal each gospel provided his own emphasis out of this Olivet Discourse, a unique emphasis and in some places, they overlap, yet they also leave gaps. They also leave gaps, significant gaps in some cases. And as a result, we have all of the information that the Holy Spirit deems essential to us. We have all the infor- information that we need to understand what we are to be told. With this said, the, this material, this material, was not provided by Jesus for the express purpose of, of Christians, you know, charting out and predicting when he will return, the exact time of his return. How can we know that? How can we know for sure? Well, Jesus implies that even when possessing his own divine understanding of Scripture, his own divine knowledge as God incarnate, the Son, He doesn't even know the time that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Think about that. Jesus spoke these words in the Olivet Discourse. He he spoke them, but says even he, the Son of God, can't predict the day or the hour. Even he can't do it. And and, and the empirical evidence left behind, meaning meaning the, the, the observable evidence that we see It's left behind in dumpsters, in burn piles, throughout centuries of writing, shows that nobody ever gets such predictions right. All they do is fuel a dumpster fire. Predictions after predictions, failure after failure. Jesus did not give this to his disciples for them to know the day or the hour or even the times or the seasons, the epics of his return. Our scripture reading from earlier, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, said that when the disciples asked, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied to them, It is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed By his own authority. His command to them was to go out and be witnesses. They weren't to worry about the times and the seasons. It doesn't require an investigative sleuth. A sleuth to discover, if you look very closely, that Acts chapter 1 verse 6 occurs chronologically after this Olivet Discourse. Did you notice that? It comes after Jesus gives this discourse. So Jesus certainly did not provide this for the purpose of calculating the time or even the season of his return. If that were possible, the Son of God could have done it. Uh, You and I then certainly cannot. We cannot. Therefore, because, because of this huge problem surface. Huge problems surface when people use this material, Luke chapter 21, Matthew 24, and the parallel passage in Mark. Uh, Huge problems surface when people use this material expressly for that purpose. You see it all the time. To predict the end of the age. Uh, It happens, that happens when eschatology or study of the end times. That happens when eschatology frames your theology. When an obsession about the end times frames, uh, frames your understanding of the Bible, your theology, you have a problem. You have a problem. Uh, this is indicative of nearly everyone who uses uh, the book of Revelation as their proof text for every other portion of the Bible. I always go to Revelation as a proof text for everything else, and their fascination with assigning current world events to apocalyptic symbolism. Apocalyptic symbolism, it colors, it distorts their interpretation of the whole Bible. Instead, we are to use our theology, that is our understanding of the Bible, we are to use our clear understanding of the Bible to frame our eschatology. To frame our understanding of the end times. To, to color in, to, to paint in the book of Revelation. You know, I hope you were able to see uh, a sample of this last week when I employed clear teachings about the church. Ecclesiology. Clear things we know about the church and building the church. To color in the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. That's what we did. We painted in Revelation with what we know from the balance of Scripture. In Scripture, that which is clear is always used to explain that which is less clear. That which is less clear. Theology always frames the boundaries of eschatology. A few words of caution, because we we just encounter this so much today. A few words of caution. People who are weak in theology, weak in their understanding of the Bible, repeatedly default to magnifying prophecy and revelation. Always the first thing they're always talking about. Inconclusive speculation about the marks of the beast, you know, the horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, ten horns of the beast, what are they? Uh, and such speculation, though not not uh, prohibited entirely such speculation then usurps or even unseats clear dis- clear discussion about sin and sanctification and-, and holiness and and redemption and and unity among the church and the brethren and and, and generosity and-, and loving others uh, that speculation always unseats. Those things which are clear when it becomes too great of an emphasis by others. Um, you know, I, I've been asked before to teach, uh, or if I'm going to teach, about the, uh, or through the book of Revelation anytime soon. And uh, that is a reasonable question. Uh, I might, or I may never. I may never. Um, Revelation is Holy Scripture. It is God's word. Therefore, when interpreted correctly, it is surely profitable. Very profitable. I I think we observed that last Sunday when we went to Revelation 21. But you know, the entire book of Numbers, that is also entirely Scripture. It is also God's word. It is holy and set apart too. Yet I don't hear anyone asking, you know, when are you going to preach verse by verse through Numbers? Right, it's all it's all profitable. We'll see. We'll see. The book of Revelation is very encouraging. It's written to communicate hope through colorfully depicting the church's struggle in our cosmic battle against sin, an assured destruction of our enemy, and an ultimate triumph by Christ. That is what prophecy is intended to do. It's what's designed to do. Grant Christians a, a blessed assurance of what is to come, especially guaranteeing Christ's triumphant return, triumphal return to reign over all the earth. Um, prophecy is not given to Christians. It's not given to Christians to predict precisely when. Uh, I trust you will agree when we finish this chapter, at least I hope so. Please follow along. As I read from Luke chapter 21, I'm going to begin in verse 7. The disciples questioned Jesus, saying, Teacher, when, therefore, will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place. But the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and various and in various places, plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. You know, Matthew tells us, the disciples began this dialogue by asking, Tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Therefore, the end of the age. When will these things take place especially in regard to destruction of the temple. And what is the sign of your coming? You know they're they're asking for a singular identifier. One thing that they can watch for. So if they could see it then they could be ready. Then we'll know to be ready. They want specificity, you know, is it going to be the year Y2K? Can you give us some specific marker so Then we can be ready. What has Jesus been teaching us throughout the entire gospel of his earthly ministry? Uh, Be dressed in readiness. Always be ready. You'll notice as we look at this, Jesus doesn't tell them one sign. He doesn't give it to them. He does not give it to them because it's not for them or anyone else to know exactly when he will consummate his kingdom. When they inquire about his coming and the end of the age. you know That's the same event, by the way. His coming would be the end of the age. They still think that they're going to be alive to see it. They think they're going to be alive to see it when they ask this question. After he was resurrected... Again, we read this from uh, Acts chapter one earlier. Lord, is it at this time see, after he's resurrected, is it now is it now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? And every generation for two thousand years has been asking the same question: What is the sign? Just give us a sign, then we'll be ready. We want a sign. Um, instead. Jesus provides to them, he supplies to them three sets of instructions. That's what I call them. Three sets of instructions here in the account contained by Luke. The first, that's that's found in verses 8 through 11, applies to every generation of all time. Every generation of all time. Second, from verses 12 to 19, that applies particularly to apostolic times. We have all time and then apostolic times. And from verses 20 to 24 then, a warning concerning Israel's time. Israel's time, distinctly about Israel. And then following afterward, Jesus says in verse 25, Well, then it's going to be my time. Then it's going to be my time. A day when cosmic signs erupt. He will suddenly return. It will be unexpected. He will not contradict what he taught us earlier in Luke chapter 17. He said, always be ready. The appearing of the Son of Man will, will come like lightning. It will be completely unexpected. It will be startling. It will be like in the days of Sodom. Sudden destruction. Folks, when he comes back, that will be hammer time. Follow me? When he brings judgment. And finally, at the close of this chapter, then after that, we're going to have another, another parable about a fig tree, which will be helpful to us to understand as well. I'm going to suggest for today, um, just for today, let's just bite off one small piece at a time. Okay? One section at a time. You may have noticed that I titled this message, Signs of My presence plural signs of my presence in Matthew they asked what is the sign of your coming what is the sign Um, he gives them numerous signs Uh, first though Christ's future return uh, or or his coming as as we perceive it his future return is described uh, with a Greek word called parousia probably heard that before the parousia um, that's what this word coming is Uh, they aren't going to live to see it most Christians throughout history have not lived to see it you and I may not live to see it we don't know the timing what what is most intriguing about this this dialogue this conversation that they're having is not merely that Jesus does not fill their request For a specific sign, he doesn't give that. Um, But that the definition of the Greek parousia, the definition of this word, does not only refer to an arrival in the future, it doesn't only refer to a, a, a coming in the future. Parousia is also used to describe someone's current presence. Current presence. The Apostle Paul, very familiar, by the way, with the Lord's language. He uses the identical word parousia for exactly that, to describe Christ's, or, or Paul's own presence with the Philippian church. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 12, So then, my beloved, just as, he, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, that's parousia, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work at you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see there that Paul uses the word "perusia" to describe his presence in contrast to his absence. He insists, whether absent or present, whether I am here or whether I am not here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's happening here? What is it that the disciples are getting around to? What are they asking when they say, what is the sign of your presence or of the end of this age? Jesus is going to assure them, uh, in just a few days, by the way, uh, in the Great Commission, Go, therefore, and make disciples, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Follow me? Follow me? Jesus ultimately responds to their question about the end of the age... Saying, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. The end of the age there. Same Greek language, same word order. It's like you're saying sign. You want a sign of my presence? Well, I'm always present. I'm always present. I will always be with you, even until the end of the age. File that away. Just, just file that away. Um, we're going to return to answer that riddle. In just a few moments, exactly, the riddle is, what exactly are his disciples asking? Oh, I can't leave you in suspense. Let's just, let's just go for it. Here's what they're asking. The reality is, his disciples had never concluded, they had never come to the ultimate conclusion that he was going to leave. They had never concluded that. Why then are they asking for a sign of his future coming? The answer to the riddle is this. They are not. They are not. Um, Now before anyone gets hot under the collar here about uh, thinking maybe that I'm diminishing the emphasis of the second coming, the parousia. I am not. I am not. In fact, there are plenty of places in in the epistles, the letters, even in in this own passage. in, In this passage here, uh, actually, it's in Matthew, particularly, where parousia is used in context specifically, specifically to denote Christ's future return. Definition of words is always determined by context. We've learned that many times here. Um, so Perusia does refer to the future return of Christ. Jesus Himself will, will use Perusia later in this discourse. Three times to refer specifically to his glorious return to, um, to consummate his kingdom. The parousia. All right? The parousia. But an inquiry about a future return is not what the disciples are asking here. That's not what they're asking. We must answer. We must answer as sleuths. How are they using the term Perusia? Parousia. In this question, not how Jesus uses it at the end of the discourse. How are they using the term? I, I can tell you one thing for certain: they were not using the term parousia to inquire about a a far off, distant, two thousand year plus uh, return to establish a kingdom. That that is not what they were talking about. Acts one verse six already assures us that after his resurrection, before his ascension, they still think that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. They still think that. They say, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Jesus replied, it's not for you to know the time. So they're not using the word in the way of a future return. So clearly, when the disciples ask for the sign of Christ's parousia, the sign of his presence. They were not seeking a method to precisely calculate end time events in 2020. They weren't searching for that. Um, what then were they asking? What were they asking? I'll be precise with it. Uh, John MacArthur, who is a far greater language scholar than any of us here, outstanding, uh, uh, outstanding scholar, states this in his study Bible. You might have it there with you. Maybe it's in his commentary. One or the other, he says this, quote, When they asked about his coming, Jesus' coming, Greek parousia, literally presence, They did not envision a second coming in the far off future. They were speaking of his coming in triumph as Messiah, an event which they no doubt anticipated would occur presently. End quote. Follow me? They were expecting that theirs was the time. You know, if you listen to MacArthur, as he explains this, this Greek word and the historic usage, biblical usage of Perusia, he makes an excellent exposition of why the disciples here are asking, what is the sign of the presence of your kingdom? Meaning, how will we know when your kingdom has arrived? How will we know? What is the sign of your coming? Uh, also, consequently then, what is the sign of this age? Folks, they are referring to the end of their current age. Not the end of our age. Not a, not a futuristic age, uh, but their age. When is the sign of your, your coming to establish your kingdom? That will be the end of the age. They were expecting theirs was, was the end of time. Uh, at least time as they knew it. After which Christ would establish his kingdom. But now... Fulfilled prophecy, think about this, fulfilled prophecy that they have observed. Uh, The Messiah's triumphal entry on a donkey colt. They watched that. That that was to be a sign, right? Given by the Old Testament. Um, Somehow now, that doesn't look like it's going to stick. Um, No overthrow of Rome... Seems apparent during this week of Passover. Uh, they've just witnessed three days of conflict with Israel's religious leaders, and the disciples are beginning to sense, they're beginning to sense that Jerusalem hasn't really received Christ as their Davidic king. Starting to see that this. this doesn't seem to just be working out. The inauguration of Christ's kingdom isn't progressing as they had anticipated. In fact, now conditions are even deteriorating for them. Uh, tomorrow night, Jesus is going to be arrested. Friday, he's going to be killed. It's not working out, just like they envisioned it would. Um, Lord, Lord we, we've passed some pretty obvious markers here. Pretty obvious scriptural markers. A triumphal entry on a donkey colt. They're like, this is it. You know, lepers being healed and signs and wonders. The dead are raised. All of those things that pointed to the arrival, the coming of the Christ, right? The coming of the kingdom. They'd seen all these things. Obvious markers. They were supposed to be messianic signs that he had arrived. What then is the sign of Messiah's presence? What is the sign your kingdom has come? How will we know when your kingdom is finally present? What is the sign of your presence? Alright? Jesus, what's the sign of your presence in the presence of your kingdom? When will the temple be destroyed? These are, my, in my opinion, the questions that Jesus is answering very directly. Very directly in verses 8-24. through 24. These are signs that Christ's reign has come. These are signs that his reign has come. He will reign, by the way. We've talked about the already, not yet. He is reigning spiritually through his church, his kingdom, but yet will come and establish the physical kingdom at a later time. The already, not yet. He will begin to reign by the power of the Holy Spirit in not that many days. Pentecost is coming. Pentecost is coming is coming it's going to start soon so he answers very directly I believe in verses 8 through 24 and then in verse 25 Jesus describes his return to assume his throne his Davidic throne that is the parousia the parousia on his own terms what is the sign what is the sign uh, that my kingdom has come you want you want a sign that my kingdom has come I'm going to give you numerous signs that my kingdom has come, that my kingdom is present. These are the signs Christ's kingdom is present. Are you ready? Number one. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. You know, I, I could parade in front of you scores of men Throughout history, who've claimed to be the Christ, beginning with a man named Thudis in 44 AD who promised that if you would follow him, you would follow him, you would go out into the desert and you would see him part the Jordan River. That's what he promised his followers, all right? 44 AD, said he was the Christ. What actually happened is Roman centurions came in and parted his followers. Very literally. It was a massacre. They parted them. They were killed, um, literally by the sword. In 1993, David Koresh, claiming to be the Christ, stated that the prophecies of Daniel would be fulfilled in Waco. Waco. Oh, Waco. It would be at a compound that Branch Davidians, if you remember, a compound that they referred to as Mount Carmel. That's what they called it. We we all know how that ended, whether you were alive or not at that time. We know how that one ended. And Jesus declared in the record contained in Mark chapter thirteen, verse twenty two, false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in in order to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, behold, this, behold, I have told you everything in advance. I've already told you. Luke 21 verse 8, See to it that you are not misled. Not misled. The first sign that Christ's kingdom is present. True Christians are not deceived by David Koresh and others like them. We are God's people. We are his redeemed elect. Uh, Jesus said, My sheep know my voice and they follow me. John 10 verse 5, A stranger... They simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. The sign—the sign that his kingdom is here—we don't sell out to that stuff. Anybody here even tempted slightly to follow David Koresh? If you were alive at that time, no, no. We are called out to Christ. We belong to him. We hear his voice, not the voice of false prophets. Uh, what, is the, what, what is the topical sermon, by the way? You'll see it in this passage here. The topical sermon of these false prophets, these false Christs. This, this is what they preach. You ready? Jesus reveals it in verse 8. They insist, the time is near. The end is near. That's their perpetual sermon of false prophets. Perpetual message. It's not to resist sin. It's it's not to cultivate unity among the brethren. It's not to be generous to those who Christ has given his life for. It's not to share. It's it's not to put off the flesh. It's not to live a life that is righteous. Uh, They're always preaching. They're always prophesying the end by identifying world events. By identifying world events, classifying them. It's, it's happening right now. Happening right now. False prophets inserting the coronavirus into biblical prophecy. This is it. This is the apocalypse. We get it right this time. Yeah, no. No, you, you didn't get it right. It's not. This, this is not it. This is not it. Jesus said it will be a day like any other day. People will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, carrying on like, like any old day. Some even mocking, says Peter. Some will come in their mocking. Where's the promise of His coming? Everything continues on as it always has. We've studied this previously. The day of Christ's return will be an ordinary day, unsuspecting, just like that day when it rained fire down on Sodom. Just like when the flood come, they're mocking no, (laughs) it never rained. Oh, that's not good. It will come like a thief. That's how it will come. Not by signs and predictions and calculating and charting out world events. It will come like a thief. For this reason, Jesus says, be dressed in readiness. Always, always, always be ready. Um, You know, if you fear the end, If you truly fear this is the end, uh, you can probably rest pretty easily at this moment because everyone's claiming it's the end. False prophets are saying the time is near, the end has come. Uh, Jesus says in verse 8 this two things. Do not go after them and see to it that you are not misled. Don't do it. Don't follow those types of people. Don't follow them. I can't tell you how many Christians I've met, including church leaders, not leaders of this church, but over time, who get sucked into this, the end is near quicksand. That sucks you in, and they swim in it, perpetually, sometimes for decades, swimming in quicksand, never climbing out to make disciples, to love Christ, to serve His church, to evangelize, their communities. It's always about the end. Always about the end. Uh, folks, sign number two of Christ, that his reign is present. That his kingdom has come. Christians don't get sucked into this end times baloney. Again and again and again and again. Book after book. Book after book. We also know that world calamities do not signify the end, which brings us to a third sign of Christ's presence or His kingdom, that His kingdom has come. When calamity comes, when it comes, Christians are not terrified. Christians are not terrified. Verse 9 initiates a long list of world crises and and calamities that, that continues through verse 11. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. "...for these things must take place first, but the end does not immediately follow." Oh, hint there. Then Jesus continued, continuing the same thought here, Jesus continued by saying to them, "...nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be, a, will be great earthquakes and various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven." And in Matthew, Christ says, but the end is not yet. End's not yet. It's not a sign, it's the end. You know, Middle Eastern conflicts, military conflicts, they, they have been viewed as unmistakable signs that it is the end, that the time is near. Ever since, you think in the 70s? No ever since the Crusades. Oh, this is the end. There's a battle in the Middle East. And the church sent out, well, what they called Christian soldiers. Ruth's favorite him there, Onward Christian Soldiers. March, no, I'm just kidding. This has always been going on, folks. It's always been going on. There's been disturbances. Uh... We need to finally make ourselves resolute. We need to resolve ourselves that wars and disturbances are not signs of the end. They're not. This entire list that we see here in these verses, these are all events that have always repeatedly occurred throughout world history. Repeatedly. Plagues, yep. Famines. Famines. Yep. Comets, falling asteroids, things in the heavens, check, check. Kind of freaked out people in an earlier generation. Jesus says these things must take place first, that means before the end, but the end does not follow immediately. That means none of these on this list are to be used as signs for the end. None of them. That's how you always hear this message taught, isn't it? No. No. Always to to instill fear in people. It's the end, folks. It's the end. Come back next week. You've got to be here next week. I'll tell you more about the end. People control others through fear. It's horrible. It's horrible. In fact, in Matthew 24, verse 8, it gets better. It gets better here. Jesus can be quoted as saying, "All these things referring to the same group of things, all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs." Birth pangs. Birth pangs. Jesus must mean then that when we observe all these things, that the end is really near. the baby's coming. It's almost here. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. That is not at all what Jesus is communicating to his church. That's not at all what he means. Some of you might not be able to relate, but, but with my extensive experience with children, pregnancies, babies being born, emergency room deliveries, you know, labor pains, contractions, all kinds of birth pangs and other th- associated things, you know, I can assure everyone, I can assure everyone that birth pangs are indicative of two things. Two things. Number one, they are recurrent. They come again and again. Number two, when birth pangs begin, because Jesus says the beginning of birth pangs, when birth pangs begin, predicting the time of delivery is completely impossible. Completely impossible. It's indefinite. That's what birth pangs mean. When's the baby coming? I don't know. I don't know. If there's one characteristic that any mother of multiple children, I know Andrea will amen this, any mother of multiple children can tell you about birth pangs, it is that their mere presence gives you absolutely no indication whatsoever of when the baby is going to come. This is Jesus' full point about these calamities. And them being birth pangs, they cannot be used as indicators about the end. can't be. can't be used. Throughout all human history, folks, all of these on Jesus' list, they are so repetitively common that it should almost make us laugh hysterically that anyone would use them as signs to prophesy a date or a month or a year of Christ's return. You know, if it, if it weren't for the fact that so many people are misled by so many of these false prophets who claim it is near who insist it is near the end um, since all these are so repetitively common all of these things here uh, they're also not suitable to accurately predict or they're not suitable to accurately predict the return of Christ Then accurate predictions of them routine calamities Predicting them are obviously not suitable to validate someone as a prophet. Predicting these things, wars and rumors of wars, does not make you a prophet. Not at all. If I were to accurately predict a a military conflict in the Middle East is coming in three years, um, that does not make me a prophet, folks. makes me observant makes me discerning. No, the, these things are too repetitive and common. A, a, false, a false prophet's odds are pretty good when it comes to most of these things on the list. Friends, the coronavirus pandemic. This pandemic is merely the latest of common plagues. Merely the latest of common plagues. People should be cautious. But as Jesus said, we are not terrified. We will not be terrified. This is not the end. This is not the end. Did you know that during the Black Plague that in Europe a third of the population perished? One, two, dead. One, two, dead. One, two, dead. Can you imagine that? The terror That that would cause. Um, Folks, I'm sure there were prophets in that day saying, well, this must be the end. No, about 700 years have passed since. It wasn't the end. Many declared it was the end. The world continued on. So did Christ's church. It continued on uh, growing and redeeming more and more. That is what we focus on. Because this is not the end. This is not the end. It is no reason to be hopeless or terrified. Uh, Odds were, the the odds were, with modern air travel and congested cities, this was eventually going to happen. Many scientists, you know, were forecasting, you've watched the news, many scientists were forecasting for decades that this would happen. Jesus assures us that plagues will come. Why then are some so, so surprised and terrified? We're not to be terrified. SARS, if you remember that one back in 2003, almost 20 years ago now, that was a type of coronavirus. It was in the same family of diseases. Epidemiologists have been preparing ever since, and even before that, but ever since for another outbreak. That's what they've been expecting. The fact that scientists had warned it could hit large cities like Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, wow, I stand amazed Predicting things so common, folks. It isn't prophecy. It isn't a sign of the end. It's educated reason. It's reason. You know, if, if you truly claim you have prophetic powers, meet me after church. I want the lottery numbers. See if you can give me those. You can't. You can't. The coronavirus was inevitable, folks. I'm going to say this today. So is our recovery. So is our recovery. Um, This is not the end. It's not. Christians need to stop being terrified as a third sign that Christ's kingdom has come. We are not terrified, for he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. We don't fear. We do need to be cautious. We need to be careful. Some, especially those older, medically, uh, those who are medically compromised, uh, they need to stay home for a while. They need to stay home. Some, others, need to chart a return path to prayer meetings and church. That, that's a fact. Is directed, of course, by your family physician. A little disclaimer there. But now that we know a little more of what we are dealing with, a little more, not all, let us not forget that even during periods of danger throughout history, the church has historically gathered to worship and pray. Within reason, using caution. Um, So I'm giving this as a gentle, a gentle call to prayer. Within reason. If you've been with us the last couple Wednesday nights here, we are praying. And uh, if you were going to reintegrate, and I think everyone should be cautious. Uh, There's nothing foolish about being cautious. Everyone should be cautious. But if you were wanting to reintegrate to prayer, to to your faith, Wednesday night would be a good place to start. We we do it here. Lots of room. Usually not a lot of people. Spread out. Uh, If you can go to Walmart or Home Depot, you can come to prayer meeting. And it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, the church needs to be called to prayer. I, I've repeatedly used an analogy of winter storms up north for this current situation, and in this I'll close. It's, it's an imperfect analogy. All, all analogies are imperfect. But when it stormed and the roads were icy, those of you who lived up north remember this, it becomes dangerous to go out. It becomes dangerous to go out driving. When it was dangerous to leave home, we were more careful. You know, we, we drive slower. We, we maintain a safe distance between vehicles, a, a buffer. You're a little more cautious. You know, you don't want to accidentally lock bumpers with someone anywhere, right? Especially in Walmart. I almost lock bumpers a couple days ago someone in a Walmart aisle I would tell mom you know mom you're older you have retirement income you're stable you're safe you don't need to go out driving until this is over until the storm passes okay you just stay home be safe it's wisdom, it's wisdom. others may work from home until the storm passes they have that ability to do so Then there are some of us, there are the rest of us, potentially. We've got to get up and go to work today. We've got to get this thing rolling. Our livelihood and our neighbors depend on it. What we produce and how we serve, there are people out there who depend on it for their livelihood. Who do you think's bringing the food to Walmart and the toilet paper, of course? People have to be doing this stuff. Is it dangerous outside? It is. It's dangerous. Don't be foolish. That's not what I'm saying. It's a little dangerous. Could there be someone driving reckless out there? Yeah. Could I end up in an accident? Could I get injured? Yeah. Is it possible? Is is there a chance that I could die? There is. There is. Um, The potential is out there every time I get into the car to drive. But we can't stop living. We cannot stop living. Uh, just one final exhortation. I think, I think that everyone who needs to or wants to stay home should. You should. But for a little encouragement to those who might venture in, in, in carefully getting back out, maybe, cautiously, safely stepping out, a closing story. I stopped by a, a, a large, busy chain gas station every morning to fill up not with gas my truck doesn't use that much gas coke i fill up every morning same place same time the many employees there you know they're maintaining a fair distance i don't know i don't get a tape measure out but they're maintaining a little space the aisles get a little bit cramped when i move through sometimes turn sideways and step through they they got the plexiglass thing at the register which is fine that's okay some attendants wear masks Others working at the same location from the very beginning of this never have, never have. So I was curious on Friday, I asked one of the managers, has anyone here gotten sick? No, no. I said, thousands of people pouring through here every week. Yep, yep. I know the evidence is anecdotal. It is. It's just experience, evidence of experience probably isn't a lot further off than the models, scientific models they've been using. The evidence is anecdotal, but she said of their locations in Florida, and I looked it up online, there are hundreds of them. Of those she knew in Florida, they were aware of one employee at one location who came down with the virus. They do not know where he or she contracted the virus. They, they don't know. Get it at the store or elsewhere? They didn't know. Um, they disinfected the store. All the other employees at that location tested negative. The store safely reopened. They got back to business. Folks, this is with all these stores, tens, perhaps perhaps hundreds of thousands of people pouring through every week. Every week. Think about that. Think about that. Should we stay home? Everyone I'm talking not those who need to stay home. You need to stay home, you stay home. My lawyer told uh, told me we need to say that. We don't have lawyers. No, that's me. If you need to stay home, stay home. There's nothing shameful about that. But should we all stay home until this economy collapses? Our country collapses. I assure you, if that were to happen, it will not be safe to go outside. I assure you. Individuals should stay home until winter passes if they need. If PSL freezes over, they can can stay home that long if they like. Uh, That's right as an American. I'm going to be careful. I'm going out driving. I'm not going to be terrified of a plague. I might perish, as Jesus commanded I am always to be dressed in readiness. I don't hold too tightly to anything I have here. Readiness is a sign of His presence. Coronavirus is not a sign of the end. Let's pray. Father, as you call your saints to lift up voices of praise, uh, not only to uh, extol you and your, and your righteousness, but to encourage one another. Lord, that is our hope, is that we can encourage one another that this is not the end. And Lord, if it were the end, we're ready anyhow. We are ready to stand before you. Lord, uh, to hear that voice, well done, good and faithful servant. But Lord, if there's anyone here who wasn't ready or isn't ready, Uh, to stand before you in judgment, Uh, we pray that they would know the gospel, that they would hear it, that Christ died for our sins, that he rose again, and that they would believe, and that he has established a kingdom reign, a powerful reign over those who he has uh, redeemed through his blood, that he now reigns as king, and there are signs that we see that he is here, that we're not terrified, that we're not deceived by false prophets, that we don't spend our entire existence searching for uh, the end. Lord, we know that you've told us that when you come it will be uh, like lightning, that you'll come in the clouds, that your revival, uh, your arrival will be swift, that there will be judgment. And Lord, I pray that everyone here can look forward to that day and say, as, as As Revelation closes saying, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Not to save us from coronavirus or a war or a disturbance, but to save us from the presence of sin. Lord, uh, bless everyone here. Encourage those who can't come out yet. Encourage their hearts, that's okay. That's okay, we pray for them too. And Lord, we pray for this nation, for wisdom for our leaders, to have policies that are reasonable and yet cautious, that we would be safe. Lord, that uh, you would be glorified uh, through this nation, through the church, and through our lives, Lord. May we be ready. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.